Previously on Storyological. <laughs> I don't know what to do with my life. My pick. My pick. My pick for this week. My pick for this week. Uh, my pick for this week. First story we're going to talk about this week. Hungry daughters of starving mothers. Six things we found during the autopsy. In her head, in her eyes, the husband stitch. Singing my sister down. Hong's billion brilliant daughters. This week, readers, we're discussing Binti by Nedia Korofor, Slipping by Lauren Butte, Sam Jean Millers, Charlie Jane Anders, Matthew Kressel, Alyssa Wong, Kazali Manikova, Carmen Maria Machado's by Alice Solikim, ZZ Packers, Laurie Moores. I was thinking about Yoda. <laughs> Yoda said, Yoda said, <laughs> Yoda said, uh. I, um, uh. Let's do the high five away from the mic. <laughs> Not too okay. much American. No, it was it was a good amount of American. Ladies and gentlemen, update Radiohead, <laughs> good at rock and roll. I lost myself. I lost myself. <laughs> yes, Captain Hammer's here. Just in your time. Blowing in the breeze. I can't decide if I want to talk more about my saving expertise. <laughs> oh, man's got it. <clears throat> um, let me find the right thing. <laughs> Flash. Nailed it. <laughs> Thanks for listening, readers. Happy reading. This is Storyological, a podcast about amazing stories. That we kind of like. I'm Chris Camerud. And I'm E.G. Kosh. Okay, readers, guess what? Dum dum dum. Season finale. <laughs> It's the end of times. At the end of 2016, which has been a baller year. Baller. Yeah. I don't think that word works in your mouth. It really doesn't. <laughs> baller. No. No, it's been a baller year. It's been a baller. A baller of a year this year. Yeah. Oh. Too much Ebola. Oh, Ebola. That's a real thing, Emma. Let's be sensitive. Uh huh. That's what got us into this mess in the first place. Not being sensitive. Yeah. <laughs> so back to Storyological. <laughs> Hey, Storylogical exists in the world. It does exist in you the world. You gotta see the, the tendons. I'm super happy it exists in the world. The sinews. I was very nervous about starting this up. Like, you know, we knew that we wanted a, a creative project to do together. Um, and somehow we settled on a podcast where we read short stories. I guess inspired yep. by the fact that we met at Clarion where we discussed short stories and impressed each other so much that we ended up marrying each other. Yep, yeah, and uh, then we made this podcast. <laughs> yeah, but it has exceeded my expectation in so many ways. Uh, the the things that I have learned, the conversations that we've had, and also the response from people who've been listening to it as well. Yeah, the response from you guys out there that are listening. Remember, Emma, those people are listening to us. No, no, I'm just talking to you. Oh, you're just I talking? I mean, we're supposed to be talking to them as well. Uh, hi, hi, readers, hi. I don't know, I guess it's, it's a, yeah, it's different showmanship, you know, style, yeah. I I want to talk directly into that to ears. you. <laughs> Hi. It just sounds weird. Don't do that. <laughs> what are you up to? You cooking? Driving into work? Driving commuting. back home from work? I reckon commuting is the number one. You pastime. reckon? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, side note, readers. Uh, at some point across the twitters, there may come a request for a survey, and those people that take a survey about such questions like when do you listen to us i don't know it will be ridiculous like most of what we do but also somehow informative and you know possibly heartbreaking uh the people who respond to the survey we'll put them in a in a raffle in a hat i don't know is this gambling is this illegal uh if you do a survey which costs nothing yeah we'll put them in a prize draw we'll put them in a prize draw and send them 
a copy of Alan Bennett's most recent book, which is a collection of his diary writings and memoirs and essays, yep. um, which we saw him talk about the other day at the Chapel. Which did you know amazing. Alan Bennett is the uh, grandfather of science fiction? <laughs> what? <laughs> Never has a less true word been spoken. Is he not a grandfather either because he's so gay? Um, I don't know. I, I'm guessing he doesn't have any kids, but I, I'm pretty sure that gayness is not... Certainly none that he cares about anyway. <laughs> it's none that he mentions on stage. As I was trying to tell my six-year-old niece the other day, you know, being gay uh, is not does not stop you having children. No. No, it does not. Mm. Being a eunuch... Well, it doesn't stop you from parenting. No, it doesn't it stop you It might stop parenting. you from actually biologically... Um, yeah. Pro- progenitating. That's not a word. Pro- progenitating. That one. Progeny. Mm-hmm. Progen- progeny. Progenating progeny. Mm-hmm. Progeneration. <laughs> Are you progeneration or um, con Definitely anti-generation. Anti-generation. Yeah. Anti-generation. All right. All right. Yeah. Keep the population down. Keep it down. Keep it down. Keep the populism down. Keep the population down. Keep the populism down. Imagine there's no, no. country. No, stop that. <laughs> so, uh, I think my favorite thing of our time doing Storylogical has been the chance to sing. <laughs> well, because I won't let you sing when the microphones aren't out. It's because I'm a smart lady. Uh, I don't know if that's intelligence so much as a, um, a self-protecting carapace of ridicule. Yeah. Yeah, you're protecting yourself from the beauty of my language. Mm-hmm. And to be fair, that's why I sing poorly. I'm protecting all of us. From what could be, otherwise would crush us by the light of the lord kind of like the ted chang story with the angels and when there is a heavenly presence like many people hundreds of people get crushed by the lightning Mm. exhalation that's a different one exhaltation this this episode is shaping up into a (laughs) well-structured extravaganza yep uh one of the things that i love is genre uh that thing which we do not speak of uh i've enjoyed doing but creating a space where we pick and choose stories and talk about them. And the most important thing about those stories is not our definition of genre or the way we feel genre applies to that story. It might come up in conversation sometimes, but it is not our, our guiding light into the world of stories. And in fact, because of us doing that, that has allowed me to discover that I've loved horror because previously it had been shelved in this place in my mind where I was like that is a thing I do not enjoy because I only had experience of movies which I found to be too scary whereas reading so widely for this I was like oh horror actually something I can really get into when it's that kind of emotional twisting up in people's minds and bodies I hope the people that are, are listening you know, maybe experience something similar. You know, they, they find connections of theme and style that they may not have discovered, things that speak to them that they might not have discovered because the, those walls, those things that don't exist but have huge impact on our lives, maybe is just slightly thinned or, mm-hmm. or rubbed out. And if it is true, if you discover that a story that was in a genre that you had never particularly given a chance to or thought that you would like, but you did like, a story that surprised you with how much you loved it, share with us, let us know. This is the time for thinking about the year that was and preferably not focusing on everyone that died or who possibly might die. You know, yeah. just, just, just stories. Yeah. Let us know. Just keep it let in the story know. space right now. I mean, besides, you can always pick a story like... 
you know, six things we found during the autopsy about a woman being picked apart by a group of authoritarian figures and yeah. let that pick speak for itself. That was definitely one of the highlights of the year for me. In fact, that episode where we discussed two stories from the Apex World Book of SF, part four. Part four, yeah. I've really got to get a well, shorter well short name from that. Unrolled. That, um, name, that name trips right off the tongue. Yeah, exactly. Right and we, we discussed Manikavel's story and Ogawa's story, and they were they played so nicely together, but... <laughs> Like a couple of children on the playground. Like a couple of little toddlers, right? They just played really nicely. Uh Um, But also, I loved that book a great deal. And I really hope there's going to be another one in the series. Uh, You Give Me a Story, In Her Head, In Her Eyes was one of my favorite ones that you picked. Yeah, I really love that episode. And yeah, Kazali's story was also one of my favorites that we talked about this year. And somebody whose books I have sought out and continue to read their stories. Do we have, have you got one of her books that I can read? Yeah, they're Kindle-ish. I'd, I'd like to buy some real copies. Yes, yes. We need physical copies. Yeah, physical copies. Tangy copies. Tangy. Yeah. Tangy books. Tangy books. Um, so that was episode 1.7. Yeah, yeah. 1.7. Seventh yeah. episode. Seventh episode. 1.07. The other um, episode I really, really enjoyed, which contains my favorite pick of yours from this year, is... 1.14 where we discussed um it was called lamborghinis and other signifiers and we discussed jy yang's uh his majesty's lamborghini and the girl in the fish tank and also you can't see it till it's done by joseph hill from liminal magazine and i love that episode for a lot of reasons a both the stories were awesome b the stories came from magazines that were either new or new to me so i think that was liminal stories first episode Yes. And Lontar, that was the first one. Oh, it's Lontar 6, but I hadn't read any of them before and was really excited to discover what, uh, what an amazing magazine it was. Uh, that is one of the things that I really loved about doing this podcast, and I really look forward to doing more and more in the future, both as we have more time to scour the internet and the world for magazines that are collecting amazing stories and putting them out there online, putting them out there in books. Because um, I feel like no matter how widely we've read we have found ourselves still circling around certain bastions of fiction both within literary world or the sci-fi world new yorker Mm -hmm. tour Mm -hmm. lightspeed clark's world and often the stories i don't know if i've loved the stories more from those smaller magazines on whole but i think there's been a charge a feeling that i discovered a new pocket of the world that has made those stories feel more exciting so that you know i love them i love all these children equally but there's just been there's just greater surprise when like you find a kid somewhere you never expected to find a kid and they turn out to be great you hear editors talk about that sense of excitement when they read a story or a manuscript in a in the slush pile that that touches them that's real them, and that's exactly how i feel when we're reading and I and I find something, I'm like, oh my God, I desperately want to talk about this on the podcast. I can't wait for us to kind of pick it apart and see what's under the hood of it. The world you're saying is like our slush pile. <laughs> yeah, the, the publishing world is um, our slush pile. It's true. Yeah, I, I, yeah, it is kind of true. I mean, the, the, the podcast does ultimately function as, as, a, as our editorial curation. Yeah. Like there, there's no way around that. We stuff which <laughs> yes. means yeah it, we we are we are so lucky to live in a time and a place where we can spend time looking for these stories that other people 
I've done a lot of work to find and to publish. And we get to look at all of that and then pick our favorite things and talk about it for half an hour. And people listen. Hi, listeners. <laughs> so I just want to list some of the magazines that I've read for the first time this year because okay. that's exactly... Uh, what I was going to mention about having enjoyed it is the discovery of all of these new voices and new magazines. Mm. Not most of them not new to the world, but all of them new to me in this list. So, um, Terraform, uh, a venue that I had never read before as part of motherboard. And we picked from that Laurie Penny's the killing jar, which was an incredibly kind of horrific take on a future, um, administratively supported serial killing, yeah, arts program. <laughs> yeah. yeah, welcome to the future. Yeah. Oh my God. We you picked uh, "See You in the Morning" from Midnight Breakfast. That was a whole magazine that I'd mm. never read before, and I was just cool. cruising through the back issues today, and I'm like, oh my God, I need to just sit down and read all of these. That's what I'm going to do over Christmas. Beautiful story, incredibly touching. Um, and I think indicative of a magazine with a great, great taste. And then um, we've already mentioned Liminal and Lontar. Omanana is a new discovery for me, the the African diaspora publication. And then also Mithila Review, which I don't think we've picked anything from, but I've really enjoyed reading. Yeah, yeah. I think both Mithila Review and Rambatan are publications that I've seen pop up for me. I don't know if Mithila has been around more than a couple of issues I don't know, but, but both of them are just uh, exciting. And I'm uh, excited next year to keep reading them and maybe yeah. pull some of those stories out and talk about them. Something else I'm actually interested in doing um, next year as well is I, you know, I've realized over the course of this year that while I re- I've been reading widely, I've been submitting my own work almost exclusively since Clarion to SF markets, SFF markets. And I'm, I've begun you know, going back to my university, my MFA roots and submitting to these, these magazines that I've loved in the past, Missouri Review or, or Zoetrope. And I, you know, I haven't been reading them. Like, mm-hmm. I, you know, I've picked all of these literary stories, but most of the literary stories that I've chosen have come from the backlog of my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want next year to support and, and, and go out to those, those small press, those university journals again and read what's coming out of there, and read the, those online spaces as well. Uh, and now, a dance break, brought to you by Chris's ukulele. And now we go to Imakosh for the Storiological <laughs> Weather Report. <laughs> the finest forecast of the past yet seen. <laughs> we picked 60 stories across 31 episodes. Um, we have 47 of those stories have been written by females and 13 by males. 35 by... I, and this is a terrible way of doing it. 35 by whites. <laughs> um, well, yeah, and I felt a little bit like male and female. It ultimately adheres to the binary that there are... That's true. That's yeah. true. We, I could have said... I didn't count how many were by genderqueer or um, gender fluid people. I put... That's the problem with stats. I know, right? They are kind of reductive. So welcome to the slightly reductive weather report 
we'll give you an overview of what we've been picking. 25 stories by people of color, 35 by white people, 38 stories by people from the USA. That is a that is a high proportion. 38 out of 61. Out of 60. Oh, 38 out of yeah. 60. Yeah. I, then, it would be interesting to see how that compares to, I don't know, any other market centered in the US and UK. I don't, yeah, but that is... It felt high to me particularly because we've only picked four stories by people from Britain. I'm not surprised by that number. Um, but I'm aware that there are there's more we can do to read more widely of people, not from the US and UK. But there are structural things about translation Language, yeah, and absolutely. the markets that we look at that tend not to publish much in translation. I'm not sure what the numbers are. I'm going to assume 2%. Yeah, probably. Uh, I've been really excited people... about Strange Horizons. They're, they've been dedicating some of their yes. issues to, or maybe in the future as part of their fund, re- fund drive, uh, to printing work and translation. The, the final thing on, on nationality was that we did have 12 other countries represented. So I was like, oh, that's a good start, but only one from each of them. 17 stories from 2016, 11 stories from 2015. And then the others spread out in a long tail right back to 1953 where the Flannery O'Connor story you picked was. Yeah, yeah. another one of my favorite uh, picks from you was in that episode. We talked about Flannery O'Connor's uh, Good Man is Hard to Find and Tamsin Muir's Union, which is an amazing story. I can't wait to see story. what else Tamsin is putting That was one of my year. favorite episodes because it was the first time where we stretched. You know, we, we stretched almost as far as you could in, in uh the places we chose stories and the kinds of stories. Um, and I enjoyed having them speak to each other. Mm-hmm. When we were at this uh, comics event last night, uh, this thing called Smash that happens in London, uh, one of the guys there talked about a kind of artistic empathy, which was about you know trying to you know withhold judgment about a story, trying to understand both what it was doing and what the author was doing. Uh, and I've loved doing the podcast with you and practicing that yeah, and, and putting, putting stories in conversation with each other and putting ourselves in conversations with stories and allowing each of us to pick stories entirely independently. And so sometimes come into contact with stories we might never have come into contact. Exactly. Yeah. I might, there are stories that you have picked that I might not have read to the end unless I'd had your recommendation or the the compulsion, right, we're going to talk about this, I've got to finish it. And and through that and through knowing that you have found something to love in a story, I have then gone back and read it again and looked deeper and thought, I guess, more analytically, more empathetically about what's there and also force myself to unpick why maybe even after that I'm not connecting with it or it's frustrating to me or that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The last stat I have is about where, which publications the stories we pick are coming from. So it does have Can one... Can I guess? Go on, yeah. Where you well? I was going to say there is one caveat in that sometimes we find stories in an author's collection, but they have also been published in a magazine and that's not always captured. So rough numbers. Yes, slash also it's a statistician's bothersome because the meta tag is bewildering. Which one is the most valuable? Which one do you pick? Do you count them both? Are we interested in where we discovered them or where they're from? What are we valuing in the data? What it's is true. the story we're interested in telling? Yeah, all good questions. I'm going to guess mm-hmm. that 
um, The New Yorker, Lightspeed, and Nightmare are the top three. Close. Okay. New Yorker, Tour.com, and Lightspeed. Yeah, I wasn't sure about Tour. Yeah, but... but yeah. All of those places, we have discovered stories in them directly, but also of authors in their collections, like the M. Rickett story was published in Lightspeed, or the Tananarive Jew story was originally published in on Tour.com, or the one we just spoke about last week, um, The Jewish Hunter, I found in Laurie Moore's collection, but was actually published in The New Yorker first up. So I think, you know, it's clear that there are some uh, magazines out there that are I don't know that we're connecting with with their selections. Yeah, yeah it's almost, right. It's almost like a control group. If you're discovering them in the wild without realizing mm-hmm. where the first editorial decision was made, and you go back, you're like, oh yeah. When I was making that guess and thinking about it, I thought about tour and whether that would be up there because we've chosen a lot. And I do you think there is an equivalent of the New Yorker in the SFF world? To be fair, there is almost no equivalent of the New Yorker in any other world. Do you mean by its taste or by in stories or in its content as a kind of a whole as the, the the New Yorker as a... I'm speaking entirely just of fiction, not the other stuff that's in the New Yorker. But the New Yorker, it has this, this loud, respected voice in fiction. And also, though, I mean in editorial, in editorial, mm-hmm. like New Yorker stories sound like new yorker stories there is a huge editor uh, an assumed editorial hand at play and i think that's what i mean is there is there a market in the sff world that has as strong a voice as as respected is it more disparate i thought about it and the one that first came to mind was tor and especially because Tor has the the backing of Tor McMillan, which has this huge history in SF, right? I know that. It is to some extent the most superficial, but perhaps most important corollary. The New Yorker pays around a dollar a word or more. Oh, right. And the Tor pays, I think, 25 cents a word. But I, I don't just, didn't just mean financial backing. I meant that, that brand and that position in people's minds as being synonymous with SF and synonymous with pushing the forefront of SF as well. Whereas you take some of the other um, magazines that we've enjoyed, like say Lightspeed, it's a much more recent invention. You look at the the stalwarts of the SF world, the analogs, the Asimovs, and you know I'm not connecting with the stories that are in those publications so much. Like maybe they do hold that position for some people. Like I just look back at... Um, the Ted Chang um, story of your life was nominated for the Nebula Award in in 1999. And it was a, I can't remember if it was a novella or a novelette, but his story was published in something called Starship 2, which I'm assuming was an anthology. But the other four nominations, two came from Asimov's and two came from Analog. I was like, wow, is that just how it used to be in the (laughs) before the internet yeah Uh, you know they kind of there were many fewer publications um and particularly in that category which is a a lengthy one one of the things that keeps me coming back to the new yorker is it still publishes stories i connect to yeah that is somehow maintained its place in a way that perhaps asimov's hasn't and perhaps fnsf will reattain i'm excited by cc finlay i think that is you know, at the end of the day, it just comes down to whether your taste connects with the editor of the magazine. And if it does, then it's probably you're going to find a fair amount of stuff there. And if it doesn't, you might not. 
So something that I have found in a lot of stories that we've talked about, mm-hmm. uh, of course, we mentioned before second person and something else that we've had a lot of is various mm, gender fuckery slash body swapping Mm -hmm. slash I'm going to eat your dirty thoughts and turn (laughs) into an image of you. Uh, And I love that. It it feels like that is often what I'm drawn to most in stories. So both second person gender swapping, the I'm going to eat your dirty thoughts and turn into an image of you, all kind of circle around the idea of being a bit disconnected from self, a bit shape-shifty. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I love that. Yeah, trying to discover the self. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm just describing all fiction right now. I don't know. Is that too generic? Yeah, I don't. I think it is too generic without its parallel, its um, mirror image. Right. That's one of the greatest ways to accidentally construct great sentences. Make sure you include. I think it's it's the self things. and the way to convey that self to other people. Like so many of the stories we've picked, like. One that just comes to mind is the demon in aisle six. The The guy at the center of that is so distressed about the death of his lover, but he continues to try to explain, to to display himself in the way that a cat might kind of show the, show you their belly. And I, and I am often disarmed by that in a story like somebody's desperate attempt to convey who they are to somebody else yeah uh and i like in Alyssa wong's uh, hungry daughters of starving mothers which is one of my favorite things uh that i read over the last year you know she's eating the thoughts of people and and becoming them and through the course of that story seeing the horror inside of herself and so for me the thing you were saying about stories being about finding yourself and maybe communicating. To me, the thing is to kind of paraphrase this essay I read earlier this year by somebody that we'll put in the show notes. Um, the, the, the fiction, for me, what I get the most joy out of in a John Green way is 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 connecting with other people. So mm-hmm. for me, and, and escaping my own head and connecting with other people. So for me, stories are about finding yourself and others and finding the other inside yourself empathy machines i I both crave it and get ridiculously happy about it thanks for listening readers that has been the first season of storyological well we've been so happy to share it with you thank you for listening every week and during the christmas break we will have a few little treats pop up in the feed so we're not going to be away from your ears for too long no no we won't um and of course we'll be back next year uh, with more episodes and perhaps a few surprises. I'm looking forward to it a lot. Uh, so have a happy end of the year. Uh, if you're anything like me, somewhere around Christmas, you will watch the Matt Smith Doctor Who Christmas special, <laughs> the uh, Doctor Christmas Carol. I don't remember what it's called now. Is that the one with the sharks? Uh, it is the one with the sharks, and I watched it like a thousand times in Korea with my students. And one of the things that stays with me, besides just uh, how beautiful and funny and, and silly it is, is the little framing of, of what the Scrooge's character and then Matt Smith says about the winter solstice, about celebrating being halfway out of the dark. Happy travels the rest of the way. We'll see you on the other side.
record the dance break. I had to get that. <laughs> yeah, I had to get did. that dance break in there. Now I guess that will come at some point in the middle of this episode. I don't know, or I can completely throw it because I thought, you know, previously on Story Logical. Okay, I guess I can't avoid doing this. I'm not gonna put the dance break at the beginning. Um, but I, I think of the fifth season. The fifth season. Blah, the fifth season of Buffy. The one that ends with Buffy throwing herself into a big glowing hole in the ground. Um, At the beginning of that episode, which was the last episode on the US network, WB, the previously on Buffy is followed by a rapid fire montage of the entire five years of Buffy. (laughs) Uh, And it was one of the, just the best moments of my life. 